Shark party. Shark party. <laughs> Motherfucking shark party. He's trying to have a shark party right now while I'm trying to <laughs> record. I can't play right now, bud. Bought Jax's first toy in probably six months or so. He's obsessed. He is obsessed with it. It's a little shark. It's supposed to be the toughest toy on earth. Uh, we'll see. We'll update you guys on how Jax deals with the shark toy. Hedgie's still around. Yeah, but he got Hedgie the day I got him. That and the little rope bone he's managed to not destroy. Everything else is maimed in some form or fashion. Like my shoes? Yeah, your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let you hang on to that for right now, but we'll play later. Shark party. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes were made. I was about to go, I'm the beautiful, the effervescent. Oh. <laughs> My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent. I'm sorry, I've had a couple of beers. Kristen Pennington. <laughs> you are beautiful. I was about to go, welcome to the Mistakes from a podcast. I'm the beautiful, the effervescent, Brett Bloom. The soon-to-be Kristen Bloom. I've got to come up with a new intro that floats mm. with your, your new name. Yeah. As we found out, you've got a lot of changes you got to make to government forms and social media accounts. And yeah, <laughs> and um, if you missed our last episode, if you're not a fan of the two stars, uh, yeah, we made a special announcement. Goddamn we right. We set a date. We did. We went and signed our marriage certificate, license. Marriage license yeah. uh, they're on the same piece of paper. I don't understand it, but <laughs> paid a lot of money for a, a Slightly larger sheet of paper than a regular sheet of paper. <laughs> and uh, we're good with the state of Montana to get married on the 18th. Mm-hmm. So send us all the emails. Fucking, you know, give us money. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> we have a registry now because uh, Brett's family kept insisting they buy us things. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in the most basic bitch bridal mode where I'm like, <laughs> I just want to buy all the things that have bride on them. But can you imagine like how much pressure would have been added if on top of just that you would have had to figure Final out a wedding. venue and pick oh. out dresses and individual <laughs> flowers and suits and fucking locations and photographers. <laughs> yeah, so if you're new to the show, um, Brett and I bought our wedding <laughs> rings. God. Probably two, two or three, three months ago, yeah, when three it, months r- ago. right when the coronavirus hit, they got here. So yeah. about a month before the coronavirus hit. And so our plan was to, because at that point we hadn't even told anyone to buy the rings, sneak off and get married at the courthouse, yeah. and then do a celebration with everyone else later. Like maybe not even <laughs> tell anybody that we were technically married. Yeah, do a celebration <laughs> with everyone else later so we can get the... Uh, big stressful stuff out of the way first and foremost and also kind of have that like intimate moment for ourselves and then immediately like a week before my ring got here everything got shut down (laughs) um so when my ring got here we just decided to just wear our rings and um float this boat and figure out what we were gonna Mm -hmm. do and missoula is starting to reopen so yep we have a date the 18th uh his family did insist on buying us stuff, though, so we do have a registry. Well, my favorite part <laughs> about this is this is a unique time to get married mm-hmm. because our instructions are we have to show up wearing face masks. We'll be standing six feet away from fucking everybody. And uh, there's protests going on outside of the Missoula courthouse. And if the protests are too bad, then we have to like basically get married in the stairwell. <laughs> Which is the most apocalypse shit ever, and it's ten times cooler than any wedding I've ever been to. He was like, because I was talking to, like, I guess one of the front desk receptionist people, like, trying to get it scheduled. And he was like, so, yeah, you gotta wear a mask. You can only have two people if you decide to bring people. And then apparently, turns out, if you weren't aware, you are no longer required to have a witness to get married. Uh, In Montana. Yeah, in Montana, at least. So we have opted to just do it by ourselves. But, uh, yeah, he he was like, if it's nice weather, we'll do it outside unless the protests are too loud. And then we'll go inside. We'll we'll find a stairwell or something. We'll make it work. We'll I was like, it what? Because <laughs> right now, Missoula is doing brilliantly with the protests and stuff. And, you know, I, I'm not going to weigh political opinions. You know, my, my thoughts are for the safety of everybody involved with everything that's going on. But uh, for right now, the protests up here are mainly people with signs and then people honking as they drive by we don't have anything violent happening here in town uh, as of the moment and probably won't because it's montana and everybody has guns <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully uh, our plans should not be postponed yeah. any further than they already have been but we're getting fucking married god damn right son Started. 
changing my name on my social account. So <laughs> notice that we're not married yet. I'm just getting a start on yeah. it. <laughs> we got to figure out cool intro stuff. We're going to have to change some things with the show. Cause Brett Bloom, the beautiful effervescent Kristen Bloom, that like puts too much space between the last names. So I might have to go by Brett. And then I, my wife, the beautiful, the effervescent Kristen Bloom. <laughs> there you go. That would establish one last name. I don't know. I'm a writer. I'm sure I can figure it out. I have full faith in you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what other things? You edited today. How'd that go? Uh, I didn't get as much done as I would have liked, but it is mostly pieced together. I'm pretty much down to the two little intricks, which mm-hmm. I don't really want to give that away. Surely that'll be up before this episode airs but there's two little like special effects tricks that happen at the end and i'm pretty Mm. much at that point so it's mostly pieced together um it's kind of got to clean it up after the fact yeah definitely i gotta tighten the pacing up and fine-tune the color and then Mm -hmm. find some kind of music to put on it because i feel like it's too plain the way it is because it's all happening just in one room and it's like a documentary yeah. style so it's literally just an interview for a good chunk of it so i think this one's gonna have to have a sound score under it to kind of liven it up a bit but Brett's natural frustration has helped me kind of <laughs> push the story along because he sighs the other day i was, being, his eyes I was and... being pretentious i have to be angry for a portion of this <laughs> film and i'm just angry normally so <laughs> we were uh drinking we were watching space force and um fucking reflecting on the acting for you know our own film and i was like yeah i was just like uh al pacino i just started listing method actors but i lost the word method actor so for a minute it sounded like i was comparing myself to al pacino and heath ledger and i was like yeah i'm just like those guys no i'm I'm not like those guys but i am naturally angry so if you just leave the camera rolling you're gonna catch me in a naturally pissed off state it's gonna look better than scripted there's a couple of scenes where you like sigh or look away or roll your eyes. You were like fidgeting with your ring and I got that like on camera. So yeah, I think it, once there's like a sound score and the sound's fine tuned right now, it sounds kind of awkward because the sound doesn't really match up. But I think once it's fine tuned, the uh, anxious energy will really kind of add to the ending. That's awesome. So, that's my hope. Fuck yeah. We're getting there. <laughs> did you learn anything regarding the editing today? Like, did you find it's, any tricks that we can talk about on the show? Uh, not really, like, new tricks or anything. It's, again, I think I mentioned that a couple of episodes back. Like, a lot harder than I thought it would be to kind of finesse it into feeling like smooth transitions mm-hmm. between. Because there's really not a ton of B-roll in this. Mm-hmm. So... Like, trying to find the proper, like, pacing so yeah. that in between the questions it feels like a natural flow has been... Yeah, it's part documentary, part dreamscape, part hellscape. It, it, you know, it has got, like, three different layers to the way it's shot. Your uh, freak out, and then when we had to come back in and sit down and just table read together has potentially ended up saving my butt, though. Because, uh, <laughs> I accidentally skipped, which they're not the most important ever it would be fine if i cut them entirely but i accidentally skipped like a small section of lines that i didn't realize we didn't record like in real time so when i was editing today i had to like pull footage that was like b-roll and then dub the table Mm -hmm. read on top of it because i was like fuck how did i miss that we didn't record that (laughs) because i was running around like a maniac probably (laughs) making you 10 times more anxious i skipped a short little back and forth that was like four lines of us just kind of arguing with each mm-hmm. other so i was like damn it <laughs> arguing for the script not yes. actually arguing yeah, arguing for the script <laughs> so yeah no I, re- I realized i needed so make sure attention. you have plenty of b-roll make sure you're paying attention to your script but make sure you've got plenty of b you know in the canon so that you can kind of figure out your way around it would be a big takeaway and also um and creative can... in the editing process you don't have to stick to the script <laughs> there you go um, I also cannot emphasize the importance of making sure you get room tone mm-hmm. like enough. Like, I feel like a lot of people tend to forget room tone or blow off room tone. And that's um, just setting up the microphone and getting the quote-unquote silence of yeah, the room. So You'd the, have like the air conditioner or, you know, that. The fountain, the yeah. fountain. 
So at the very end of the scene, not the end of the shoot day, like the end of the specific setup, exactly mm -hmm. where you have the cameras, exactly where you have the lights, exactly where you have the crew and the cast and all that. Everyone that was in the room, whether it's the grip, the, you know, the camera person, the director, the actors, everybody that's in the room has to stay in the room because the physical presence of bodies in the rooms adds to the yeah. way that the sound is kind of bouncing off of objects in the room. Much in the way that if you had different paintings or paddings on the wall, it would change yeah. the acoustics. Yeah. Or if the scene is lit with like three separate lights, those lights have to be on mm -hmm. when you do room tone because you get that subtle hum of lights being on. So um, That's interesting. Yeah. Like, I understood the pur purpose of the people. Purpose of the people. Um, <laughs> but I did not understand the, the, the lights. That's an interesting thing yeah, to think so about. So that's a very subtle on. thing that you would notice if it was gone. Like the yeah. audience might not pick up on why it feels wrong, but it wouldn't sound quite right. Yeah. So at the very, very end of the scene after you're done... Um, they do a thing what they call like holding for room tone and everybody has to sit very still and very quietly and you record um i try to do at least 20 to 30 seconds of room tone i don't know if there's like a standard like set amount of time mm -hmm. my recommendation is at least half a minute though um up to a minute maybe uh i did not <laughs> <laughs> record room tone for this one and um the takes between the close-up and the far-away shot, you can hear yeah. a distinct drop in sound. I don't, I, and I honestly don't know for sure what it is. I don't know if the lighting was like vastly different or if the position of the microphone facing your mouth was different, but there is like a distinct like hum that drops off. And that might just be our air conditioner or well, the we refrigerator. It, yeah, Something it might like be the that. bridge. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the air conditioner because I would have thought to have turned that off. But it, it's it's subtle, but it's obvious enough that in between takes you can hear the background noise drop off. Mm -hmm. So normally when that happens, you would layer a bed of room tone under all of these scenes, so there's a consistent background sound throughout all of it. Mm -hmm. um, I did not record room tone, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to go through. And fine, which I've done that before, it's fine, I'll figure it out. But um, I'm going to have to go through the takes and find a section where the two of us aren't talking, even if it's just for five seconds, and repeat yeah. that five seconds over and over and over again. <laughs> just like that regroup moment where it's like, fucked up the line, and then I'm just sitting there staring at the yeah. piece of paper trying so. to remember the two <laughs> sentences that or. I need. Much like the man in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Took a day and a half to get two sentences out. So yeah, I'm gonna oh, have to, hey. oh hi Mark. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to go find a beat in between us talking so I can layer that under yeah. all of it so it sounds even. Which, not the end of the world. I've had to do it before, but yeah, my recommendation is to try really hard not to forget to do your room tone because it's a lot easier to just have it <laughs> than have to go hunt it down. What other subtle things like that? do you think while you're in the editing process like you are now would be important for a person working you know maybe editing their first or second film without like a college education or any like formal education um because it, I, again i would think that the bodies in the room would be important if i were to really try to sit and think about what would be important about audio mm -hmm. but i would have missed the lights so are there things you know otherwise maybe outside of audio even that are so subtle that they're often glanced over, but they can make a real difference. Uh, I don't know about if I have any like immediate advice for like shoot day, but I guess like when you're in the editing process, I've had to try to, like I said, find a way to finesse like cutting in between these takes because several of the cuts are literally just like switching from a wide to a close up of viewer yeah. back, or then switching to like a little bit of B roll. So, um, and this is something they teach you in film school. It's like really basic editing knowledge, but. Uh, there's a thing called an L-cut or a J-cut, and I think maybe yeah. early... I don't know anything about editing, so why don't you explain <laughs> that to me and the audience, my love? I think maybe very early into this podcast we talked about it once before, but I guess just to kind of reiterate. Um, so an L-cut and a J-cut are basically like the mirror opposite of each other, um, and it's literally just called that based on the shape, you know, and yeah. L is sticking out to the right, and then a J is sticking out to the left. Um, and the concept of an L or a J cut is that you either see the picture for the next take before mm -hmm. you hear the sound that's matched to that take. 
I've got you. Or you hear the sound for that next take before you see the picture. So there's, for instance, a scene where I'm trying to create a bit of unease in your character, Mm -hmm. and um, you say a line, and then you pause for a really long second, and you kind of swallow aggressively, and you can hear the sound of you swallowing, and then you look away... And then the next take that immediately follows is <laughs> a take where you were like super frustrated and yeah. you like sat the script down and you're like, <sighs> you know? <laughs> and so. Um, Would it best be used like in conversation, do you think? Is like a way of explaining it? Like, it, say you and I are having a conversation, camera's off to my right, your left. You would. As you begin to speak, the camera would hold on my face and then it would cut to you mid sentence. Is that kind of what you're describing? Uh, yeah, it's used a lot in um, conversations for sure, but honestly a lot of edits in general aren't just straight, you skip to the next yeah. scene and the audio at the same time. Like a lot of edits in... They have the blend, like yeah. The music. Yeah, so um, like in, in the take that I was just talking about, like you see you swallow and you hear that hard swallow sound and before it switches to the take where we see you sign, you hear the intake of breath of your sigh huh. and then it goes to you like with the frustration... And I think, if I'm not mistaken, in Happy Birthday, um, I think you hear the train or hear the outside noise or something before we see that you're outside. You hear the train, um, I believe, as the Jeep's coming to a pause and you don't see the train just yet. Yeah, so, like, with that, that's a perfect example. Like, it kind of eases mentally your mind into whatever's coming if you can either see it or hear it before that's it all kind of slams together. Yeah, it's a you weird... would see your brain trying to scramble what is that sound? And it I recognize the sound. Oh, there we are. There's the visual that matches that yeah. sound. So it stops it all from hitting your brain all in one yeah. fell swoop. Yeah. So if, um, if you just do hard cuts where the audio and this picture both come up at the same time, a lot of the time it's just like an aggressive like break on the scene and mm-hmm. then you're jumping into the next scene. So yeah, uh, conversation pieces are definitely where it happens the most, though. You hear the other person talking before you necessarily see their face, or you see the other person's reaction as the person's still finishing whatever they're saying. Because mm-hmm. um, it's how... It like, prompts you for what their reaction's going to be. Yeah. Um, and in conversations in particular, it's kind of naturally how we see the world. Like, if I was watching you talk to someone else, I wouldn't necessarily be watching you strictly the entire mm-hmm. time you're talking. I'd kind of be glancing the, to them to see what their reaction is or vice versa. So in conversations, it's definitely much more yeah. natural. But just in switching between scenes in general, like I said, it kind of just eases your brain mentally into it a mm-hmm. bit, um, for lack of a better way of describing it. So it doesn't feel like, oh, we've just snapped into the next scene. Yeah. So, yeah, I've had to try to... Like I said, finesse the interview by like sliding the audio so it doesn't quite match the image. So that was the L and J. Okay, just so if you're taking notes at home, L and J shot. Yeah, and if you Google it, um, if you Google like an L cut or a J cut, it's it's really basic editing knowledge. So there are definitely people out there who have explained it way better than I just. No, did. I, I've never heard of that, <laughs> but it makes sense. Like that's what I like when you explain the terminology. Is I'm a massive film guy, but I can only understand it truly from a writing version where I'm like that line was goddamn poetry, <laughs> or like the way that this you know is shot looks beautiful, but I don't understand the mechanics of why it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I like learning about the L and the J. And people. Do or the with, cool shot effect. <laughs> the cool shot effect. <laughs> People do it with music, too. Like, sometimes you hear the music or mm-hmm. the ambient noise of the next scene before you see the scene. So, like I said, it kind of mentally steps you into it before yeah. you get there visually. So, yeah. It's a, a way of kind of tricking your brain into, like, accepting that the next cut is coming, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes there are harsh jumps between things. Uh, the one that just hit me out of my brain, because uh, today is the anniversary of the D-Day invasion, um, is that opening scene for Saving Private Ryan, where you've got you know the older survivor, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to ruin it for you, uh, standing at the gravesite at Arlington, and he's crying, and then it jump cuts over to D-Day, but you start hearing that gunfire and the orders being screamed as it's just an old man standing there and you're like, oh, we're going into the flashback which is going to be the rest of the film. So you just hear, you know, he's crying and then you hear, get down! And then all of a sudden you're in the world's most chaotic fucking beach scene. Yeah. 
like I said, kind of mentally tricks you into following it. Visually yeah. seeing the scene before you really see it. Because it would be a harsh cut if they just went black and, you know, and then did title card and then boom, you're on the beach. Like, that is way too violent of a, yeah. an action to There's, come from this peaceful Arlington There's shot. a time and a place for harsh cuts, for yeah. sure. I've definitely not, every cut ever has not always been an L or a J, but um, it is probably more common in my editing than mm -hmm. just regular, just straight down the middle cuts. Because um, they don't feel as natural, to be honest, to me. So, no, it would have my... to. It would almost have to be with the intention of shocking and grabbing and mm -hmm. like creating a sense of chaos. Mm -hmm. I, I think the most common use of it is probably when like in scary movies or intense scenes or whatever, people like slam a door and you hear that harsh slam and the scene goes away and you go to the next scene. Like if there's that immediate end yeah. of the scene and the sound, like I feel like that's a really common thing people do. Like right after a jump scare, they cut to a calm family dinner. Yeah, yeah, like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like people like immediately, because they're like, oh, gotcha, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let me give you a second to let your nerves chill and mm -hmm. then we're going to build this scene that doesn't really matter. You know, here's a little fat while you, you know, chew on the grizzle. But I have genuine, and it's, like I said, super basic film knowledge, so, like, I'm not trying to act like I'm Quit downplaying it, love. <laughs> super basic film knowledge to a girl who did four years of this, you know? <laughs> it's one of the first things they teach you in I'm, I'm gonna, so. I'm, I'm going to introduce some, to me, pretty basic <laughs> shit, but it's also in a book that is a massive hit that has a 25-year anniversary <laughs> edition. So um, obviously, you need to relearn the fundamentals sometimes. Maybe there's true. somebody out now who forgot about the L and the J or the cool shot effect. <laughs> cool shot effect. <laughs> <laughs> forgot what it meant to be Kafka-esque or Kubrick-esque. Keep, keep calling it that, and I'm going to completely forget how it's pronounced. I'm going to have to go look that up. I think it's Kolv. Like, we talked about this the other day. I was like, shit, what is it actually called? It's something it's not... pretty close to yeah, cool it's shot. Very, it's it's like very... some Russian dude's name. It is. <laughs> but it's not cool. It's like cold or something. I've completely forgotten what it is. But yeah, anyway. Super basic editing knowledge, but it has um, saved my butt quite a few times. When I was like, why does that feel so awkward? Let me just slide this over. Yeah. Oh, there you are. We got you now. <laughs> what else do you think? I'm interested now. I didn't oh. <laughs> know anything about that. Is there anything in like lighting that is important that uh, would be really subtle? And editing? I mean, with lighting, you're kind of fucked well, There's a you're... lot of color correction now. Yeah, not color. Working on yeah. film, so I guess it's not as important on the day. Yeah, color correction is definitely more the post-production pain in the ass. Uh, yeah, if you fucked up your lighting day of, you're kind of stuck with that. But, um, <laughs> Uh, if you can shoot in raw, um, a lot of the time that'll save you. Hey, buddy. What? Um, a lot of the time that'll save you because raw doesn't... I don't know the science behind it, to be honest. Um, but raw isn't such a... Like a supposed, permanent... like, HD or whatever? Oh, uh, yeah. What's the... Kind of like how I can enhance my pictures that I take on my cell phone. So it's like it's like a video format. Um, mm -hmm. So hypothetically, if we were talking about photos, like if you took a photo that was a JPEG, um, the formatting of the actual picture is different than if you're shooting in RAW. Um, so if I take a RAW photo, the imprint that the camera sees of the recording isn't necessarily... Um, I guess what you're stuck with, yeah. like when you're in RAW, you can manipulate the color and stuff a lot more than you can if um, you're shooting in a specific format because then it, like the camera sees the color the way that the color is being recorded and that's that and you're done. Um, so if you have a camera that can shoot in RAW, which mine doesn't um, shoot video in RAW, I think it'll shoot photos in RAW but not video, um, you can save yourself a lot of stress and color correction because yeah. you can manipulate it a lot more. Um, I don't have that option currently with my camera, so definitely day of check your white balance and all that because if you destroy your color, you're kind of screwed. Mm -hmm. um, but in um, Adobe, at least, there's a little um, like dropper looking thing that'll correct your white balance if it's not horribly far off you can kind of find like a spot in your 
video that you want to be white and usually mine's close enough that I can kind of be like hey this piece of paper is what I'm dubbing as yeah. white in this image and it'll like shift it over for me so the rest of the like image play with the contrasts and stuff yeah that's cool and like the saturation and all that so it'll um correct for me to a bit more neutral tone and that's always my base is like I start you have to find the darkest thing in the room too so it knows like the middle ground no so you it's uh correcting the white balance specifically so if okay. you if you have a shot that looks like orange toned or a little too blue toned if you find an object that's supposed to be a true white like if you click an object that's yellow and try to tell the computer that that's white it's going to make your image look really weird because mm -hmm. it's going to try to correct the your entire... whole film's going to look like seven yeah <laughs> it's going to try to correct the entire photo so that everything that's yellow is technically white which shifts your entire color scale over mm -hmm. um but I, I guess for just basic editing knowledge, like definitely try to make sure when you're recording, you get it as close to the proper coloring as you can. But in post, you can. Um, I always start with correcting my white balance. I'll I'll go through every image and be like, hey, fix this so this is what white is. Yeah. And then from there, I manipulate my. Um, contrast and my color schemes and all that so that I then get. Like my color theory concept, like whatever I want mm -hmm. the image to actually look like. I, like I always start from a base neutral color because then you have something that's a little more realistic looking to fuck with. Yeah. So I guess as far as like, that's not really lighting, but as far as like color goes, like I always start at neutral. And then if you want your film to be really blue or really orange or really contrasty or whatever like start from a neutral base and then so if you, go from there is there a way to do like kind of how you were explaining sorry i've not even taken a look at this so this <laughs> might be again basic for you know the, the the filmmakers out here but what makes the show interesting in my own egotistical uh, version is i know a lot about writing and you know a lot about <laughs> film and we know very little about either one. So trying to force me to explain things I wasn't prepared to explain. Now, so I am dumbing sorry, this down. Because I'm about to introduce a, a book about writing. Um, but, I am dumbing um, this down so hard, though. Well, the, don't you have to? Because I'm a dummy. <laughs> Would you do the same thing on the computer if you were looking for the blue shot by going, "This is blue in this shot," and then it would correct it? Because when you were explaining, like, if you had a legal pad, it would make it all look yellow. And I said the thing about seven. Is that really how that would work? Like, you would be able to go, "This is my yellow for the shot, and this is what I want." The... So no, um, the little dropper only corrects to white. So the only thing that it racist fixes... ass dropper, <laughs> unacceptable in twenty twenty. Well, well the, the, the white balance is truly editing the neutral color balance of your entire image. So if um, your skin tone was really yellow too, and the whole image was really yellow, yeah. and I clicked on. A piece of paper that was supposed to be white and it looked very yellow and I was like hey fix this make this so that this is what white looks like and the entire rest of the image color shifts over um, so that your skin wouldn't be so yellow your skin would look like more like pink and yeah. peachy and natural and less stuff. like I've got liver disease yeah and then, <laughs> and then you go in and it like hand edit the colors for the rest of the image so you can either manipulate the curves or um, like the levels or whatever. There's several different ways you can do it just kind of based on your preference. There's a, a spectrum I'm blanking on what it's called. I think it's like the histogram maybe. Um, but it's like the art wheel where it's like, you know, these are contrasting colors. And yeah, are, yeah, and you basically go, okay, I want more reds or more blues yeah. or whatever. And you like kind what of have to... What are my opposite colors? Yeah, and you kind of have to push it. And unfortunately, again, that's why it, you need to try to make sure when you're recording it, you're getting the closest to neutral as you can. Because unfortunately, you know, if you shift the whole image like more red, it's going to affect your tones that aren't supposed to be red mm -hmm. as well. So like your blues and greens and shit like that are going to start to look not quite blue and like take on like a more yeah. magenta tone. Well, that's why you picked out a specific shirt for the scenes that we had to do in the bedroom that looked like a porn shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's a lot of red light bulbs. And you're like, that's why you're wearing that shirt. <laughs> you're not wearing a red shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, you do kind of have to be careful about your wardrobe and your scenery and stuff too. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly not graded at myself. I'm still learning. So, um, <laughs> 
but my go-to is always, like I said, to start at a neutral base. And even if you know, I'm a big fan of cold tones. Like I, I like yeah. kind of blue and like gray looking images and stuff like that. So even if I know that's going to be my eventual color tone that I go towards, I start at like a neutral base and then, um, use the color with purpose yeah. like the reason when you hit the blue tone the reason why you would pick the blue tone then you start shifting into that bluer tone try to make it as gradual as now possible I'm a, I'm a bit of a cheater i use lutz um to get my final color image so is that an app um so lutz or i can't remember what lut actually stands for it's l-u-t um but it's basically a color scheme that uh, someone else has already pre-designed. Yeah. And so it's basically like a filter you layer on top of an image, just like you would with Instagram or something like mm -hmm. that, except it's for uh, video. So if I have a specific filter, like I'll color correct everything to like the close to the tone that I want it to be. And then I'll put the LUT on top of it and then adjust the LUT to look how I want it to look. Like mm -hmm. I don't ever... Um, just throw the LUT on top of it and then just leave it how it is. I'll adjust the intensity and then I adjust the colors from there. But yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not a master color corrector, <laughs> so I, I cheat and use color schemes other people have invented no, already. We, we know a little bit about a lot of stuff. <laughs> so that's, a, that's an option too if you're trying to color design your film. Um, there are people out there who you can, there are LUTs you can get for free. But is that L-U-T-Z or L-U-T-S? Uh, L-U-T-S. Uh, the L-U-T is capital. I think the S is lowercase because it's called a LUT. But like usually people release like packages of LUTs. So they're then called LUTs. Um, but yeah, there are some you can definitely find for free. Um, and then there are people that sell their LUT packages. So if you're not good at color design and you're kind of looking to punch it up a bit you can buy LUTs from other people and layer them on top of your video that's usually the very 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 last thing I do I do the color correction that I want first and then I'll put the LUT on top and yeah. then adjust the LUT um, because that stuff usually um, slows your editing process down and then also kind of extremely changes the way the image looks so <laughs> but yeah I, I cheat I use LUTs Fuck yeah. You got anything else in the way of editing? No. Not no? for today. It was it was mostly just trying to get the sound right today. I'm sorry if I'm a little off. Jax is running around anxious and he keeps trying to give us the new toy that we gave <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, he's so. very, very anxious today. <laughs> but I've got a few things to make us less anxious because we've had kind of a an anxious uh, couple of years. Uh, <laughs> And I've been reading this book, which a lot of you guys out there have probably read already. So feel free to stick along. Feel free to not stick along. You know, it's it, 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 it's your call. Um, I'm not going to give you anything that's going to give the book away. But the book is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. I bought it because we watched Duncan Trussell's uh, new show, The Midnight Gospel. Uh, I fucking loved that show because I've also, in my lifetime, long, long, long time ago, smoked way too much weed and stared into the vastness of the human core. <laughs> and um, there's a beautiful episode of that show on the Midnight Gospel that, where they are big dogs and they were being fed through this meat grinder while uh, Duncan and Ragu Marcus and Anne Lamont, um, it might be Anne Lamont, I don't really know. Uh, how you're supposed to pronounce her name, um, or having this discussion on death. So this book is not about death. This is bird by bird, uh, some instructions on writing and life, but it's met with like a Buddhist perspective on writing. She's not really a Buddhist. She's a, a Christian who's a recovering alcoholic. She's very interesting uh, based on this book and has a few massive successes that I've not read, but I plan to read after the fact. And so I thought today with the fountain playing in the background. I was going to say, it's actually very appropriate. Yeah. Like ambiance. <laughs> with the fountain playing in the background, today would be a good time to discuss what I've learned so far from this book, maybe open up some discussion uh, on it. I'm on page 70 of 200 and something. <laughs> 220 maybe, 225. 
somewhere in there, so I'm not fully through. So don't strike me down for missing mass concepts. Jax, can you please settle down, buddy? Do you got to pee? All right, we'll get to it here in a minute. All right? We're, we're getting close, buddy. It'll be okay. I know. You got a new toy? <laughs> I just want to play, Dad. I know. Um, so I wanted to go over a few things uh, that were in here. Again, it's Bird by Bird, some advice or some instructions on writing and life by Anne Lamott. God damn it, dude. Um, in the first one here, um, I'm going to go page five, page 17, and page 42. So there's a lot left unread. Maybe we'll revisit, you know, um, as we go along here and kind of play it through. So I'm going to read a little bit of that. But the first one that I want to bring up is on page, starts on page five, ends on page six. Remember that you own what happened to you. If your childhood was less than ideal, you may have been raised thinking that if you told the truth about what really went on in your family, a long, bony, white finger would emerge from a cloud and point at you, while a chilling voice thundered, we told you not to tell. But that was then. Just put down on paper everything you can remember now about your parents and siblings and relatives and neighbors and we'll deal with libel later on. I like that. So I have, what I had written down just kind of as a thought on that, uh, that I thought maybe we could discuss for a few minutes. But trauma or not, refuse to turn your eyes from discomfort when you're working at your art. You owe your experience to yourself and your audience. There's a tendency, I think, and I think that quote sums it up, you know, brilliantly. That Jesus Christ, Jack, um, piss on the floor, dude. I don't care. We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> Losing your zen. Yeah, he's trying to. He's just like, I'm so excited about my shark toy. Um, there's a tendency with artists to give themselves permission up to X. And, oh, that's it. They can't push past, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid of how they're going to be judged past a certain point. Yeah. But why I wanted to discuss that is, and I'm sorry I bring them up uh, every day, um, but the anniversary of my father's death is in two days from the recording of this show. And I have been like three years trying to piece together, you know, uh, not a memoir, but like a, a reflection on learning how to become a man and dealing with, you know, his death and all of that noise. Mm -hmm. Best title I've ever had in my life that you guys are not going to hear because I don't want to give it away. Uh, <clears throat> but trying to cope with my father, who was a 23-year Air Force veteran, died of end-stage liver disease um, or technically uh, complications after they replaced his liver. Um, and cracked his head open but I've been having to give myself permissions to revisit parts of my life that I really would rather just kind of keep the door closed on that certain members of my family see differently they don't attach the same memory or weight to the memory whether they don't remember you know all together or they've locked that wall off it's not my place to judge what happened there and that's not the only trauma so I've written about other things you know in in, in that way but I, I do think it is permission it is your story a lot of the times people say you know your past doesn't own you you know go on you know, forget about it that type of message but I think the way that she puts it there you own what happened to you yeah. doesn't make you the victim. It makes you the hero. You, yeah. you survive that. These are the treasures you have right now. Yeah, some of your treasures are weird. You got some shrunken heads. <laughs> you got some shrunken heads in your suitcase that people are going to ask questions about. <laughs> but own your shrunken heads. Why do you have those? I mean, and ultimately those things kind of shape the people that we are and the way that we view yeah. the world and the art that we create too. So to act like... It didn't happen or it didn't exist or it doesn't affect you isn't honestly genuine um, to who you are as a person yeah. anyway. And your character's going to have those as well. 
You know, when you sit down to write a character, that character is going to have that thing that they want to deject, that they want to throw out of the window. So if that's how you have to think about the quote, I'd think about that particular quote more in like how to live your life. But if you want to think about it in an artistic realm, your paintings or your films or your writings or your songs, you have to give them the respect they deserve as if they were something that was actually in this world as I'm, I'm about to run over there and kick him in the Do ribs until pause? he dies. No, I'll take him down. Yeah, could you? <laughs> All right. All right we'll, we'll be, be right back. And we're back. Turns out the dog has diarrhea. So that is why he's been harassing us for the past 40 minutes. Parenting is fun. Um, I don't remember quite where we left off. I know it was on the quote. Um, uh, you own your past. Yeah, you own basically. your past. Yeah. Should we move on just to the next one? I'm sorry that the <laughs> thing got interrupted, but uh, yeah, I don't think I... that there's any way we can do continuity. So our, <laughs> my apologies for the harsh edit as we talked again earlier. <laughs> uh, room temperature, whatever, the room, room sound, town. round room town. town. <laughs> <laughs> room town. <laughs> The next one, again, is uh, kind of about life as much as it is about writing. Uh, in this section on short assignments, uh, Anne reflects on, she keeps a small one-inch picture frame, and when she's frustrated in the act of writing, she looks through the one-inch picture frame, like held you know, about six inches away from her face so that she's not getting the whole room. And then just writes about whatever she can find in the one-inch picture frame, yeah. which is an exercise I've done in the past. Uh, God bless Fred Arroyo. Uh, go buy his books. Um, he was my creative writing uh, professor for flash fiction, and that was a big exercise that he taught us that stuck in my brain. And I, I remember the larger chunk from this paragraph, but I'm, I'm not going to read that to you. Go buy the book. You'll see it. Um, the big paragraph uh, about mice and stuff like that. It, it's in here soon after this part. But she says, E.L. Dr. Rowe, I believe I'm saying that right, spelled doctor with an O-W at the end. E.L. Dr. Rowe once said that, quote, writing a novel is like driving a car at night. You can see only as far as your headlights. But you can make the whole trip that way, end of quote. You don't have to see where you're going. You don't have to see your destination or everything that will pass along the way. You just have to see two or three feet ahead of you. This is right up there with the best advice about writing or life I have ever heard. I have that exact quote on the really foggy picture that's on my Instagram from when I was making the drive up to Montana by myself. <laughs> well, that's that is E.L. Doctorow. <laughs> no, I know. It's <laughs> oh, hilarious. I have that exact quote on one of my pictures on my Instagram. Yeah, but you can't be overwhelmed, I think, in life and writing. Um, I've been working on a manuscript whose you know stock title right now is The Nightmare Box, which was before you know any of this panned out now i have to change the title of my novel um but i've become overwhelmed at points and realizing that i've written whole sections of that book like three chapters that just zinc mm -hmm. you're gone that was just me understanding this character it doesn't play into the plot and so there are points when I'm working on the editing myself, you know, with my own work, where it's like, oh my god, this is so out of fucking control, it's such a goddamn disaster. And that quote reminds me that I don't need to fix the whole book today. I don't have to fix this whole chapter today. Yeah. I can fix this paragraph, I can fix this sentence, and that is a victory, you know, I can add this paragraph now that I understand the character because I've read this unnecessary backstory. I might, out of those three or four chapters, only use a paragraph's worth of disjointed material that'll be slapped into something else to, to, to help it, because it makes sense why I wrote it. It doesn't make sense to be in the final product, yeah. you know? So write within your headlights, live within your headlights. When Kristen and I moved to Montana, uh, we showed up and we had $20 at the end of the day. That was rough. After, yeah. <laughs> After we paid off the apartment and got all that taken care of and, you know, bought all the food and the hotels and all the shit that we needed to get up here, 
there, there was no paycheck for like three weeks, you know, lived by, thank God I've got a family that looks after me, you know, so we didn't starve to death. They helped us out. We had food given to us and money at certain occasions um, to cover the basics as we, we settled down. But when we showed up here at the end of the day, we made it by $20. If it had cost 20 more dollars, we would have been fucked. We would have just been in a garage in Montana. I think, um, like as we're kind of feeling our way around with the homework challenges too, that's kind of helped me, um, not specifically that quote, but just viewing life that way. Because um, we did one back in December of last year that just... That was supposed tanked. to be number one. Yeah, that was supposed to be number it's one. Our and you can, second or third film in production hell. And you can read the prompt for it on the website. Yeah. So, like, um, if you want to know what it was supposed to be, a, a, like, what the challenge was about, you can read the prompt. It's still up on the website. Nightmareblocks.blog. Yes, you remember. <laughs> um, but it crashed and burned pretty aggressively, and it was our first attempt... Okay, not our literal first attempt, because there's another movie that we tried to do in our old apartment that also crashed and burned. Which I've got new notes now. on as of this week, thanks to Bird by Bird. You've got new notes on our old film? The TV series? I'm an alligator. No, <laughs> no. The, the short we did that had the literal nightmare box in it. Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, that's also in production hell. It crashed and burned as well. Um, script is still brilliant but we, <laughs> we moved while we were making that one <laughs> our location don't. drastically changed yeah we we can't realistically use any of the footage we have now so we'd have to completely redo it but um technically i guess the because we didn't really promote that one it was just like oh we're gonna do it and mm -hmm. we're gonna release it when it's done and i guess technically the december challenge was like the first one we really were like vocally committed to like we're going to shoot this movie and finish this movie and um we were both because that was very shortly after we moved super stressed and yeah we got here in like the middle of september both of us officially like mid to late september yeah. and then you got october and november of moving in and getting into jobs and then yeah we started shooting i believe in october yeah and we were financially still kind of like yeah struggling to stay afloat but it was the first movie we like aggressively committed to since we did the dolls so i think whenever it like fell apart like it it hit a lot harder than i would have expected yeah. it to have like i was pretty upset by it you were and, crying yeah I, I was <laughs> crying daily for a minute there um yeah like I, I i think i took the failure of that one a little too hard and just how um I don't know. It felt like we were struggling a lot in general, yeah. like financially and like just like trying to stay afloat. And like this was like a dream move for us. So I was like, I thought it was going to be more positive, you know, and like we were both. <laughs> this just was going to be the one. <laughs> we were both just super stressed and like. Happy birthday, by the way, was much better than the script that we wrote. <laughs> yeah, so, um,. And I think maybe Happy Birthday kind of helped me bounce back in some way. There's still, like, I watch Happy Birthday and still, like, have problems with it. I'm like, ah, oh, like, changes I would have made. It could have been better. Things I would have done. So I don't think Happy Birthday by any means was a perfect film. But for being mm -hmm. our first film, like... Here. Yeah, yeah, here and being back at doing films. Like, I'm fairly proud of the way it turned out. And the film that we're currently doing is a month behind schedule. <laughs> and um, that's unfortunate. But... I don't feel as stressed about it. I'm like, well, you know, we're working on it. It's getting done, and we might be behind schedule, so the next film might also be behind schedule. Yeah, I don't have the script prepared for a thing that was supposed to come out at the first of next month. So, uh, Yeah, it is supposed to be done, first mm -hmm. of July. Um, but yeah, like I don't feel like as stressed by it, because I'm like, we're back in a momentum where we are doing the work, and yeah. like this is currently the work we're working on, and we'll get to the next work when we get to the next work, and ideally I'd like to get a little bit more back on schedule, because the whole point was we wanted to release so many for the year, and then do a film festival, but I don't feel like the weight of it, because it's like, I'm working on this one right now, mm -hmm. and whatever's in the future is just in the future. Well, that was going to be my closeout for the episode, but we can discuss that right now as well, as we're talking about working within the headlights. 
is the current climate is not a creative climate. It's so fucking stressful. Mm -hmm. Like we, not just our own personal lives with recently moving and then having the big Montana winter and then having the world shut down and then have it open up to riots and stuff. If you're clogged up right now, you're human. Like, I'm stressed out every fucking day when I wake up. And it might not even be my own personal stress. It's just like turning on the phone, looking at the news, and going, we're all going to fucking die. How am I supposed to... Yellowstone's having earthquakes, so we might imminently die. (laughs) How am I supposed to, you know, feed the creative Mm -hmm. seed right now when I feel like everything is trying to kill all of humanity every day when I wake up, you know? So maybe it's just a bit of that. We all need a dose of the slowdown. Just fucking... Yeah. If you can't write right now or you can't film right now, absorb what's going on. Mm-hmm. And absorb how you feel about it. And talk about how you feel about it. And get okay. And then the words in the film, they're all going to come back. You haven't lost your creative edge. It's there. It's overwhelmed. Because... Uh, I write horror stories. Tell me how I'm supposed to compete. <laughs> the guy who writes Black Mirror tapped out, I don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> if Twilight Zone and Black Mirror are both staring at each other, like, yeah, I don't think we need a season for 2020. It's like, no shit. No, we don't. 2020 is a Kobe Bryant season. flew into a fucking mountain. COVID hit. Fucking all the cities are on fire. Murder hornets, the earthquakes. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right. Just hang out, watch. When it comes time to write, you'll know what to write about. You'll know what you felt. And I I think it's important. We're still making movies. We're going to continue to make movies. We might not make the six that we wanted out of the 12 months. Six was a big goal. If we make you four... You wanted to make 12. <laughs> I wanted to make 12 out of 12 that was, outrageous. that was pre-COVID-19. That was pre the whole country catching on fire. <laughs> yeah, I think if you... If you feel overwhelmed right now, if you can do... Like we've talked about that before, just a little bit of work as you can. You're still making positive steps towards whatever your ultimate goal is so yeah for me this movie being behind hasn't been anywhere near as stressful because i'm like well i am working on it it is getting done it's just late and you know that's fine yeah it's it's gonna get done and you're kristen the deadline denier pennington (laughs) (laughs) bloom um bloom very shortly (laughs) but yeah like i like we're still taking steps in a positive direction still working on our stuff and still kind of keeping sight on the immediate instead of like oh what's in the future i'm so stressed (laughs) so yeah like i i know my end goal still at the end of this year is one movie in particular that i really want to make and if a few of the other projects have to fall off so that that one can be what i want it to be then that's how the year worked out (laughs) i'm down and if you want to guess which film we're gonna make it is in no it's not we've discussed this yeah because i thought it was it's not in the madman diaries it used to be on the website i don't think it is anymore i might put a few stories up like put three stories up around the time that i start writing that script (laughs) and be like you get to pick which one it is Uh, (laughs) these are three old stories and you can pick which one you think we're gonna do (laughs) i thought it was but here's a hint Cook a lot with grease. Good luck. Here's your little breadcrumb. <laughs> you can figure out how we made our main prop. <laughs> no, I'm not lighting the apartment on fire. <laughs> not yet, anyway. But my last one that I wanted to do, I put up on my Facebook a few weeks ago, if you're listening to this. Um, and it's the title page for character. Um, which comes on page 42, her discussion on how to build characters and stuff like that. Knowledge of your characters also emerges the way a Polaroid develops. It takes time for you to know them. One image that helps me begin to know the people in my fiction is something a friend once told me. She said that every single one of us at birth is given an emotional acre all of our own. You get one. 
your awful Uncle Phil gets one, I get one, Trisha Nixon gets one, everybody gets one. And as long as you don't hurt anyone, you really get to do with your acre as you please. You can plant fruit trees or flowers or alphabetized rows of vegetables or nothing at all. If you want your acre to look like a giant garage sale or an auto-wrecking yard, that's what you get to do with it. There's a fence around your acre, though, with a gate. And if people keep coming onto your land and sliming it or trying to get you to do what they think is right, you get to ask them to leave. And they have to go. Because this is your acre. I like that a lot. That made me cry in my Jeep at work. (laughs) Because of the stress, because of, you know, uh, our personal lives and everything that's been going on and everything that's happening in the world right now, I felt that that was a poetic time to read that. But your character is no different. Your character has their own emotional anchor. Acre. Um, also anchor probably anchor as well they're going to shy away or they're going to charge forward and based on their or even your experience why are they heroic or evil or happy or angry or sometimes indifferent like what drives them in every facet of their lives why would your character step over a certain kind of person to achieve what is the ultimate goal? You know, why is that a lesser evil than the main evil? Why is your villain the way your villain is? Why is Shigur, from my favorite, No Country for Old Men, Shigur? How's the weather out there? Out Which where? way? <laughs> out where? <laughs> <laughs> what business is it? Of yours, friendo. <laughs> well, when we get our proper office, you can stare at Sugar's face every day. I'm got not sugar, sugar. I said sugar. You said sugar. I said sugar. But what do you think about that as far as creative works and stuff like that? I think it's a Everybody very... has their acre. They're not allowed to judge your acre. If they encroach upon your happiness, you have all the power to tell them to fuck off. I think it's a very... <coughs> beautiful concept and very poetically said. I think um, until for most people anyway until you're a bit more of a like confident person in who you are in your life and and, that takes time. Yeah, a bit more secure Mm -hmm. in what you believe in, what you want like who you are as a person. That's a hard concept to actually execute. It's kind of hard to stand up for yourself sometimes and it's kind of hard to not be embarrassed or ashamed of like the things that matter to you and when people try to take that away from you telling them you know that that's not okay so yeah i started off writing with a tiny it was a spiral notebook one of those old spirals Mm -hmm. that was just at the top and it would fit in your back pocket before anybody told me about a moleskin the open side you know Mm -hmm. you had the the old one and I was getting beaten up all through middle school. And then around freshman year of high school, I realized that I could do anything I wanted in that little journal and fuck them if they try to take that away from there me. There you go. You know? And it's, it's a, like I said, it's a beautiful concept. I think maybe if you're a person who's not quite there in your life, because it took me, um, and I'm probably still not totally there, but it took me until probably beyond 18 to really feel like it was okay to be like, these are the things that I want out of my life. Um, Probably, honestly, even into my early 20s. So if you're at a phase in your life where you're not quite able to confidently, like, assert the things that you want or, like, tell those people that it's not okay to treat you, Mm -hmm. you know, that way, like, it's a work in progress. Like, I, I think if you take small steps to kind of, I guess to keep the metaphor like tend to your acre like eventually it blossoms into this really beautiful thing and you you feel more proud of it and you put more work into it so I I think if you're still in that phase where it's kind of hard to assert the things that you want just kind of keep tending to that little garden and eventually it grows into you know something that no one can ignore so a trip to Montana (laughs) a novel a film. A production company. A production company. A podcast. <laughs> it's small things. This is our acre. 
If you have a problem with our small acre, don't come to our acre. You yell at me over the fence line. You're not allowed inside my fence. Family, friends. I do like that the bird on this book looks quite a bit like a magpie, though. Mm-hmm. And, uh... I saw one eating the eyes out of a chipmunk the other day, and I was like, what a beautiful you, bird. Why are you ruining, <laughs> ruining it for me? I quite like the magpie. <laughs> they're gorgeous. They're everywhere. But I forget that they're vultures because they're so pretty. <laughs> and occasionally you'll drive by some roadkill and see, like, three or four of them on top, and you're like, that's your acre. <laughs> pretty bird though <laughs> i love the magpie the magpie is in a film script that i've written that is next on my list to clean uh after i eventually get through the nightmare box so i can give it to Kristen and we can figure out how to make our first feature um but we have to figure out how to trap a magpie but i'm sure that they're around here someplace <laughs> all right so that was our attempt at a, no no i got one more quick thing and then we can sign off because we're an hour in but Motherfucking Space Force. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I've been reading a lot of articles. I love the Space Force. I love... It is. Yeah, my beers just hit me all of a sudden. <laughs> I love the Space Force fucking show. It cracks me up. I Fuck you if you don't like it. But, you know, That's hilarious. I'm a veteran. It, to me, it feels like it's written by an angry Air Force veteran just yelling at the bureaucracy. Last night, we watched an episode with the uh, the the Space Flag Wars. And if you haven't seen it, uh, pause right here and uh, go watch that and come back for our plugs. But fucking at one point he goes, yeah, these are great. They're going to help you survive in battle. And it's like, no, they're basically just turning them into walking body bags. Like, it, it, it's so brilliant. It's, it, it's a high concept kind of television show. It's very dry humor, like very British in the way that it's done. Um but I think it's for the veterans. What do you think as a civilian watching Space I mean, Space I think there are definitely probably jokes I don't get because you've laughed at stuff that I was like, I it's don't... It's just military yeah. chain of command type shit. Yeah, yeah. but um, it, it is a, a hilarious show that has... It's it's not overt. It's not... It's Steve Carell. If you're looking for another office, it's not The Office. Um, but there is like... It's like Steve Carell doing... Uh, Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> there are some like punchy, like heartfelt moments yeah. that catch you out of nowhere, though, and I'm just like, oh. That's, that's what so I like sad. about it. Is like The Office makes me laugh. Like I, I'm not gonna lie to you, I get it. It's old, and you know people may not understand all the jokes that are in The Office. That might not find it laugh out loud funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but I, I connect a lot more with them. It's got fucking John Malkovich, who is like one of the rawest characters like I've seen him in where like he's the little gay supporting character who comes in slides a couple of jabs in you know <laughs> but like every episode makes me feel nice mm-hmm. <laughs> the ending part the episode we watched last night and it's like you feel so sad and then he just goes I'm so horny <laughs> I was like so sad for a second there and then they closed with that line and I was like they oh hit you. So if you're out there and you're looking for a thing to watch and you you want it to be different, this is a show, don't take it too seriously. That, number one, yes, it is a mega star cast. Yes, it is a little slow. No, it's not The Office. Uh, it is political in a hilarious way. Um, but I, I love the writing on Space Force. I love John Malkovich and everything that I've ever fucking seen him in. So um, go check that out. I don't think I have any more notes. <laughs> but you ready? Skeddy. Go make Skeddy. Watch the last couple episodes of Space Force. Keep drinking beers. I'm ready. All right. You can catch us over on Facebook at... Facebook.com slash Nightmare Box Productions. Or the Twitter. At Nightmare Box Pro. Over at the Instagram at... At Nightmare Box Productions. Or you can go on over to YouTube.com slash Kristen Pennington. Gonna have to fix that whole fucking title on the 18th. And you can see the dolls as well as some of her earlier student films. If you guys are looking for a crash course, maybe you're in college right now. You need to cheat off somebody else. Go check out her concepts. Steal those concepts. Pass with flying colors. Or go to YouTube.com slash... 
Uh, Nightmare Box Productions. And you can see the dolls, you can see Happy Birthday, you can see the unnamed film that we're almost done with, and the current film that I'm supposed to be writing this week, where you can go on over to... The website? The website, which is... TheNightmareBox.blog. Where you can see uh, behind-the-scenes pictures, you can see the films, you can see a few short stories that I have up there, hopefully more short stories soon, because I've got a couple in the pipe, I just need to sit down and work them. Um, and you need to go read bird by bird. So go put that on your fucking shopping list. Um, you can go to our wedding registry at, no, no, don't do that. All right. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. You can email us at nightmareboxproductions at gmail. And you can congratulate us. Or buy Brett's book. Or buy Brett's book. pay for going to the courthouse because that costs money too yep uh if you send me ten dollars i'll send you the madman diaries a collection it's cheaper than it was on amazon the ones i have most of them are stained with beer i'll sign them and send them to you (laughs) don't care if it costs fifteen dollars to get it to you give me ten bucks we'll figure it out i'll set up a vimeo because paypal's mad at me i don't know uh but is that it yep let's go make sketty motherfucker Scary night. Scary night. As opposed to shark night. Shark night. All right. I love you. I love you. And I love you guys. Be safe out there. Um, Give somebody you love a big hug or a big kiss. Don't give kisses to the people who are expecting hugs. Don't give hugs to the people that are expecting kisses. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next week.